First Peter 5, 1-4. through 4. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Father, you are the great shepherd. You are the ultimate example of what we need to follow. As leadership in the church, Lord, you are what we are to look for, your example. Yet, Lord, we are mere men. But, Lord, I ask that uh, today you would speak through me and not be I that is up here speaking, but your spirit through me. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all those who we support abroad. Lord, thank you for Terry. Lord, he labors tirelessly, and you give him the strength. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So last week, I brought to you examples of what the modern church, not only in the United States, but in many parts of the world, is tragically looking for in church leadership. Unfortunately, many institutions that are calling themselves churches are no more than entertainment and mental health centers that are hiring basically spiritualized entertainment, counseling, and child daycare. We looked at who they are hiring in terms of requirements. I read off uh, off of a website that uh, had jobs for pastors and church uh, church leadership. And we looked at what the Word of God said are the requirements of church leadership. This week I want to continue our short study. I want to touch on the instructions of elders and how the church is instructed to respond to the elders in the church. The term elder is used to describe the men who have been given charge to oversee the congregation of God. These men voluntarily lead the church with great inward passion for the church given to them by God. This passion is seen by all through their labor in the congregation of God. In Scripture, these men are called overseers, elders, pastor, teachers. Okay, And our text here in 1 Peter, Peter's identifying with them as a fellow elder. In verse 2, he gives elders charge to shepherd the flock of God among you. We come to know that Peter is familiar with this instruction as it came to him directly from Jesus to him. We look at it in John 21, 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, and tend my lambs. 
He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus asked him in three different ways if he loved him. We're not going to go into detail of those three ways, but after Peter responded to him each time, Jesus instructed him to either tend his sheep or shepherd his sheep. Peter's come to know and understand what this means, and he is now instructing elders to shepherd the flock in this text that we're in. One thing that we don't know much about these days is shepherds and sheep. Sheep are an animal that's really a pain to deal with. They're an animal that has to be led. You cannot drive sheep. They'll blindly follow, even to their death. There's a specific sheep or goat that's used amongst herdsmen. It's called the Judas sheep or the Judas goat. The animal's a castrated male, and it's been trained to specifically lead the sheep to the slaughterhouse. It even goes so far as to go into the ramp of the slaughterhouse, and it exits through a side gate, while the other sheep pass on into the slaughter. Sheep are totally defenseless. They're unable to fight off predators. They're not able to differentiate between good feed and poisonous or bad weeds. They will not drink if the water is not just the right temperature, is not flowing calmly at a steady rate. Sheep are also prone to getting lost. If a lamb wanders away, they have no ability to find their way home. They have no ability to clean themselves. Their wool coat collect everything from dirt and burrs. Even flies lay their eggs in the wool. And after hatching, the maggots will kill them. Pretty, pretty nasty thought there. Therefore, the shepherd has to give constant attention and care to the sheep, leading them to good food and water, constantly fighting off predators, continually seeking and retrieving lost strange sheep, and cleaning and shearing them continually. The primary role of the shepherd is to feed and care for the sheep. Many times it's at great cost to himself. If we turn to Acts 20, verse 28, it says here, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is a call for the shepherd to be on guard. The flock of God is so precious to him that it says he purchased it with his own blood. Lord Jesus Christ died to redeem the church. That's how precious it is to him. The elder 
must remember that the church does not belong to the elder or the overseer. It belongs to God. And God appoints the overseer. This gives the overseer massive responsibility to guard the flock of God, the church. It says in verse 29 and 30 of this text here, it says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. When he says disciples, he's meaning the learners in the church. He says that savage wolves will come in among you. They're not sparing the flock. They're persuasive. They're false teachers. They come in and convince the people to follow them out of the church and straight to the gates of hell. Second Peter 2, 1-3 speaks of these men or these people. But the false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And their greed... They will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Jude 1.12 calls these men hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear. They come in among the flock, and they are so deceptive that they set off no red flags among the people, or very few. The elder's job? To identify these wolves, these predators of the souls of the flock of God. And they're to protect from the heresy they spread to pull the people away. 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 4. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Paul tells Timothy to instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths or genealogies. 1 Timothy 4, six. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following. The elder is to point out false teachings. 1 Timothy 6.20 O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Paul instructs Timothy to guard what has been entrusted to him. 2 Timothy 3, 1-7, Titus 1, 9-16, the elder is to be on guard at all times, protecting the flock from the destruction of false teachers and teachings that infiltrate the church and lead the weak astray. 
He is to use sound doctrine and teaching to combat and refute those heretics that try to lead astray. Let's turn to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. The leaders, the elders, are to watch over your souls as a protector of the flock. When the elder points out false teachers and false teaching, they will be scorned, they will be ridiculed, they will be hated. The false teachers will say that they are unloving, and they will accuse them of being divisive throughout the church. I personally have been in that situation, and I know Terry has many times. It's heartbreaking. It really is. Leaders who have been caught up in deception because people in their congregations hold to a popular view which is not biblical, they'll side with the false teacher against the true elder. That's why Paul, in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, he instructs Timothy to fight the good fight, to not compromise the truth. The elders not to compromise the word of God for the deceptions. He's to stand firm and to protect the flock. Going back to our text, 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. The elder is to teach. When it says to shepherd here, the primary role of the shepherd is to feed the flock. Without proper food, water, and nourishment, the flock will die. The shepherd is to ensure that the flock receives proper food and nourishment to make them strong and useful for the work of God. So what is this food he's referring to? We go to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was tempted by Satan. When he was hungry, Satan tried to tempt him into doing what he wanted him to do to prove that he was the Son of God. What did Jesus say? He said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So how is the elder to feed the church? He just says, 
to speak and teach the word of God. Titus 2.1 But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Speak sound doctrine. That's one way the elder is to feed the flock. Second Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. The elder is called to preach the word. We also see Second Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust faithful men to teach. That's another way of feeding the flock. We see this same chapter, verse 15. Paul instructs Timothy to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You are to accurately handle the word of truth if you are an elder, if you are a leader. We see 1 Timothy 6, the last part of verse 2 and into 3. says, Teach and preach these principles. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, and abusive language, evil suspicions. You're to teach and to preach. 1 Timothy 4.16 also, I like this one. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Preserve in these things, for as you do, This you will insert salvation both to yourself and to those who hear you. Do you hear that? The elder will ensure salvation to himself and to those who hear him. I just love that. The elders to feed the church, the word of God. The Word of God is our spiritual food, as Jesus himself has proclaimed. The next point, elders are to oversee the administrative workings of the church. This does not mean that they are burdened with every single tiny issue that arises in the church. No, they set policy, they appoint others to take on tasks, and they make sure that the operation of the church is in order. We see this in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. If we go to Exodus 18, we're going to be 17 through 23. 
Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. Just as a note here, Moses was judging the people all by himself, the whole nation of Israel. Anybody who had a problem, anybody who had anything was coming directly to Moses. He was the only one who was judging the whole nation of Israel and taking care of all the things that they needed. So, sorry, Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. Moses was overwhelmed. The people were wearing him out. So Jethro, his father-in-law, gave him wise counsel to appoint people to help him out. This not only shows oversight and delegation, but it also shows the need of plurality of leadership, not just one man that ends up doing the work of many. We see Acts 6, 1 through 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because those, their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The apostles were taking on daily complaints of the people and burdens. It says, verse 2, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, they delegated these things out so that the word of God would not be neglected. Acts 15, the council of elders in Jerusalem made judgment 
on an issue that was causing division in the church concerning the salvation of Gentiles. We also see Titus 1.5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Titus was set to appoint elders in each city. These elders were to keep order in the affairs of the church, to appoint leadership for tasks so that the study of the word and teaching is not neglected. But there is a warning to the elder in this. We look at 1 Peter 5, 3. It says, Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. The elder is warned not to lord over the flock. The elder is not to be a tyrant. He is to be in place to make decisions. He is in place to oversee the workings of the church. He is not to be a tyrant. So I want to see how the church is to respond to the elder that God's appointed to the church. The church is to give double honor, especially to those preaching and teaching. First Timothy 5.17, it says here, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. The term double honor here simply means you pay him. You pay him money. Not only are you to honor him with respect and service, but you're to pay him. Elder who is working hard here is compared to the ox that is working. When someone had an ox working for him, he took care of the animal, he fed the animal, he housed the animal, He cared for it, meeting its physical needs, keeping obstacles out of its way so that it could be greatest effect to the one it's working for. The man that the animal is working for is to gain the greatest benefit from that. So how much more are we to take care of the man who's working hard and diligently for the greatest benefit that we could ever receive. Salvation to those who hear. Part of double honor is also to hold the elder in high esteem and love. First Thessalonians five, twelve and 13 says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Simply put, we are to hold the elder in high esteem, in love, and we're to pay him so that he has as few obstacles as possible 
to properly lead the church. The next one is the church is to be reluctant to receive an accusation against the elder. We go back to 1 Timothy 5, verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. The false teachers will infiltrate the church. They will cast accusations against the elder. One man alone will make great accusations and try to persuade everyone to follow him. I've seen this. One person accuses an elder of a terrible sin without merit. And they're so vocal and adamant that people start to believe them. Suddenly, this one person has convinced a group of people to leave the church and to follow them. Unrepentant sin and grievous sin in the life of elder is very egregious. And we are instructed to rebuke the elder who has sinned egregiously in the presence of all. That's according to 1 Timothy 5.20. That's the next verse. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. That's a very serious thing when an elder sins. But the church is to be very careful not to bring false accusations against the elder without the witness of two or three the accusation should not be brought. Next, the church is to be diligent in making sure the elder is teaching the truth. We look at Acts seventeen, ten through 12. This was Paul. He had uh, traveled into Berea. Paul and Silas. And it says here, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. It says that the congregation was noble-minded, why? Why were they noble-minded? Because they received the word with eagerness, first of all, and they examined the Scriptures to make sure what was being taught was true. Look at what we see was the result. Many of them re believed among them, also with a prominent number of Greek men and women. The church has responsibility to make sure that the elders teaching is true. Again, 1 Timothy 4.16, we looked at it. It says, Through that teaching you will ensure salvation for yourself and those who hear you. If the elder is teaching truth and salvation, the church and in turn will reach out to the lost. Next point I have is the church is to imitate the faith of the elder. Hebrews 13.7 Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. 
The church is to imitate the faith of the leadership. The word literally means to follow the example. That means you are to look like those who are leading you in faith and action. The working out of that faith is how you're supposed to look. First Thessalonians 1, 6-8 You also become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. It says, to, he's saying, Paul's saying to the Thessalonian church, you've become imitators of us. He's praising them. Having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, the church in Thessalonica became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So much so that there was no need for Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to preach in that area. They could move on to spread the gospel further. Next point is the church is to encourage the teacher. We have Galatians 6.6 6 says, The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Brothers and sisters, it is extraordinarily encouraging as a teacher when those who you have taught A, give and show testimony through their lives of what they've been taught, and B, actually live their life affirming the teaching of the Word of God. To watch the Word of God being lived out is a great encouragement to those who are teaching. We see this through Paul's praise to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He praises them for all this. He praises them that they're an encouragement to him. The next point I have is to obey and submit to your leaders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which we kind of heard already. <laughs> obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Contrary to popular belief, the responsibility and work of the elder is very difficult. The elders have charge to watch over the souls of those who have been given to them. And there are so many behind-the-scenes issues that go on that bring great anguish and grief to the elder. It's heartbreaking. I've seen a lot of it. I haven't seen everything, but I've seen a lot of it. I see the struggles that go on with the elder. 
It's heartbreaking to see the church constantly falling into snares of the devil. But one of the greatest joys in the elder's life is to watch the people that have been entrusted to him being obedient to God. It's seeing of greatest encouragement to hear report from others and to watch the church of God leaving out the word of God, especially to those who have been entrusted to his care. There's great joy when someone like Terry Caesar hears someone leaving out a principle that he preached in a message. It means way more than you know. To see the fruit of the elder's labor is one of his greatest joys. So those who are in submission to the elder need to bring them joy, not grief as we saw here. Because there's enough grief and sorrow to go around without having it on your own backyard. And the church gains tremendously from bringing joy to the elder. My last point, the church needs to pray for the elders. Acts 14.23, when they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They had appointed elders in the churches, and they prayed with fasting. In reference to obeying and submitting to elders, we see in Hebrews 13.18, he says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Paul requests prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, in his closing letter, he says, Brethren, pray for us. Also in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. Paul knew the importance of prayer. Prayer is the most powerful thing that a Christian can do for another person. God hears the prayers of Christians. He hears the prayers of believers. He does not hear the prayers of unbelievers. When you pray for your leaders, you're petitioning the creator of the universe to give power, strength, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to the men of God that God has appointed to watch over your souls. That's it. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Tell me why you wouldn't pray for something like that. If nothing else, it's of great benefit to you. If you're not willing to pray for your leaders, then you are essentially denying that your petitions to God could have any effect in the life of the elder and the workings of the church. So I say, pray for the elders, for they're the ones fighting on the front lines of the battle for your souls. 
So I hope that you understand that the elder is not just someone that goes and studies all week, stands up in front of the church on Sunday to give an entertaining message. We need to understand that this task has been given to those men and it's not a flippant task. The elders held to a high standard, to God's standard. They diligently labor for the souls that have been entrusted to them by God. And in turn, we need to recognize the responsibility of the church of God and how we are to treat and respond to these leaders among us as God has instructed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the leadership of the church. Thank you for these men who strive and labor. Lord, I ask that you give them strength, knowledge, wisdom, Lord, I ask that we would honor them greatly with love and that we would be obedient as the church. Lord, I ask that uh, leaders of the church do not fall into the snares of the devil. They They would be strong and the word of truth, accurately handling the word of God, as you've said. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you've put for us. Amen.